welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Joining us on the ABCA podcast this week is ABCA A-Tech NAI Coach of the Year, Westmont College Head Coach Tyler Latori. Latori guided Westmont to a 48-9 record in their first NAI championship in his inaugural season as head coach. Westmont is transitioning to Division II this season, so it was a great way to cap off their final season of NAIA baseball. Latoria had multiple coaching stops at San Jose State, San Francisco State, and Sacramento State before taking over the Westmont program. Latoria played collegiately at UC Davis from 2002 to 2006 and professionally with the San Francisco Giants from 2006 to 2015. Latoria was also a catcher for the Italian national team from 2012 to 2016 competing in the World Baseball Classic in 2013. Let's welcome Tyler Latore to the podcast. All right, here with Tyler Latore, ABCA Tech uh, NAI Coach of the Year, but you guys are transitioning to Division Two. I just saw that, but Westmont College, 48-9 record um, and national championships, first-year head coach, so multiple stops at D1 and D2. So, t- Tyler, thanks for jumping on with me. Thank you very, very much for having me. Yeah, it was cool getting to, to meet you in Lewiston. Um, you know, that's a neat thing for me of, of going to all of those is I get a chance to meet people I didn't know. So it's it's tremendous. I'm happy for you guys. Thank you so much. Lewiston is definitely a uh, um, an experience. I think that every baseball person should be a part of. It was a, it was an incredible experience. Um, obviously, a little bit more important with us winning the national championship. But um, even if we didn't, it was still an experience for a baseball guy to be a part of. Yeah, you know, and and when you got there in the fall, I mean, they had been there the year before, correct? Yeah. So, uh, Coach uh, Robert Ru- uh, Robert Ruiz um, was the previous head coach and moved with this transition to Division Two as our athletic director. Um, so to have him as a mentor. Um, as the AD was huge in this first year of being a head coach. Uh, but they had gone for the first time in school history the year before. Uh, unfortunately, it was a um, two losses and 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 heading to home. But um, we returned uh, quite a few players from that. And so it was a good transition um, into a, a new head coach. Um, and uh, I was excited to um, fulfill the, um, the final vision for um, 
the the program of winning the national championship. With those guys that had returned, what did they mention from the year before? It was a sense of of just being being happy to be there. Um, the, the Westmont program had um, been to a lot of opening round um, contests, opening round host hosting bids. Um, when they won in 2022, they almost felt like that was their season. Getting to Lewiston was was the goal, not not, and it was almost just happy to be there. Um, and so, with this group um, returning. Um, it was almost of uh, un, unfinished business, and um, we knew um, from the previous. We had two coaches that had been there before as as our assistants. Uh, we had players that had um, had already been through a lot of of uh, the pomp and circumstance of going to the World Series with opening ceremonies in the kids' clinic and and going to the elementary schools. So we we had already been through that, and and so I think there was a little bit more of uh, uh, attention to detail on what we are actually trying to do. Hey, with your assistants, how did you figure out who you're going to keep around? Because if they were there the year before. Yeah, so Elijah Ontiveros is our head assistant. Um, he actually graduated from UC Davis. Um, he's obviously younger than me, but there was a connection there. Um, he's uh, now starting his seventh year at Westmont. Um, he does a lot of the um, uh, scheduling and, and travel and and a lot of the off the field stuff. But on the field, he works with our catchers. Um, he actually, um, you know, worked with pitchers one year. Um, and so uh, we also have a, a, a volunteer coach in Greg Venzer, who's been here for um, 17 years. Um, he is a local Santa Barbara um, um, native um, that knows baseball and been around the program. So um, he has a day job and, and works around his schedule to be out there. So um, his wealth of knowledge. Um, and then we hired uh, Rick Hubbard. Um, as our pitching coach um, who coached for the Santa Barbara Foresters, which is a summer collegiate team here in Santa Barbara. So he knew what it was like to be here. Um, but he was also um, um, he's from Buffalo, New York, played at uh, Canisius um, and then coached at Georgia Tech. So um, he was a, a pitching development guy at, at Georgia Tech. So he's he's been had some stops along the way. So it was a, it was a good staff dynamic to um, to have two new um uh, two new coaches um, to Westmont community, um, but also have two um, coaches and voices that had been around for uh, quite some time to see the growth of the program. With your pitching and, and catching background, because you've done both, was that something you planned on coming in, taking over a program that you're going to give that to somebody else? I think it's just a, a matter of uh, of finding the right person. Um, if we if we didn't feel like we found uh, a pitching coach that I felt comfortable enough or, or uh, felt like was the right fit for our program, I had no problem with uh, with doing the pitching. Um, if we, um, you know, if we, you know, found uh, a catching coach um, that could, you know, take that over, um, that was that was great. And that's what Elijah's done for us. He takes he took over the catching. So it allows me as a head coach uh, to uh, oversee um, um not micromanage, um, but just have intentional conversations about what this program is trying to achieve um, and then letting our coaches coach. Um, and um, that's just a, the the ability, the, the experiences that I've had over playing um, and coaching. Um, you kind of let your coaching staff guide you where, where the best fit is. I mean, do you think it helps a guy that dealing with pitchers to have a catching background? I think it's 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 influential. Um, I think this whole game is built on relationships, and and the most important relationship on the field is the pitcher catcher relationship. It just built. It, it's a different perspective. 
I have it. I see the game differently than a pitcher um, would. Um, I've had d- countless mound visits with countless big leaguers and Hall of Famers, and um, you know now on the coaching side of of you know draftable players and non draftable players, you you build up relationships with with uh, with individuals. Um, and as a catcher, you know how to you are that servant leader out there that ser- uh, is a servant to the pitchers um, and who you're working with. Um, some some pitchers need a, a, a pat on the back and some need a kick in the rear. Um, and you as a catcher have to be there and know who you're working with. So that different perspective has bode, uh, has provided me an opportunity to impact players, um, whether it's on the field or off the field. Um, I have a different perspective on a lot of things just because of the catcher having to deal with um, so many uh, aspects of the game. I mean, how long did it take you to develop that kind of sense as a catcher to, okay, that this is a guy that I need to, to maybe be honest with and brutally honest with, or this guy might need to, to handle with more kid gloves. Yeah. I think that, that, that started in my collegiate career, um, of the observing, um, I, my family, um, my dad was an athletic director and a coach. My grandfather was an athletic director and a commissioner for the whole state of California community colleges. Um, I knew what it was like to have relationships with people and, and gauge a room. Um, it was just, it kind of came innately to me when I, when I started catching at UC Davis, where, um, you know, you, you build relationships, you build trust, um, as a catcher or a coach in general, if you don't build trust, um, and and the relationship isn't built on that. No matter what you say or or how you get a, a pitcher, a player, um, a parent, um, if that isn't built on trust, you don't have anything. Um, and so, uh, building relationships, asking questions, sometimes just watching and observing. It's something that over the course of my career of of playing and coaching that I've just it's it's always ongoing. Um, I've never stopped um, trying to provide for our players the best the best that I can be for them. Um, and I think that that was based on my playing experience. With your new catchers coming in, how, how comfortable are they with kind of the new one knee down traditional? Are they coming in? Are you seeing that a lot more with your incoming catchers that they have more? Yeah. For that? Yeah. And I think that that's just uh that, that's the growth of the game. Um, and I think in, in the way that I approach it is, is very individual, very, very similar to pitching and hitting. Um, you can't have a cookie cutter system. Um, players move differently. Um, players come from different backgrounds. Um, but I think ultimately there's a big, there's a big gap between a professional player, a collegiate player, a high school player, and an even uh, the biggest gap you can have with the little league player and there's steps along the way. And so, um, when I was the catching coach at Sacramento state a few years ago, we had two catchers that caught on one knee and we had two catchers that caught traditionally. That was based on experience. That was based on conversation. That was based on their, um, their ability and their flexibility. Um, so there was always those conversations that were going on. And when we bring catchers in here, it, it's what have you done in the past? How, who have you learned from? What do you like? What, what have you tried and disliked? Hey, I want you to try this. And it's not so much, us dictating what it is it's it's why why do we want you to set up this how are we going to get there so that they're invested in it if we just tell them what to do um, they're not going to be invested in it and they're not going to know why it's going to help impact the game and impact winning what about calm pitches uh, our pitching coach did it it was um it was something that um our pitchers had trust in him um through their experiences of bullpens their throwing progression lifting 
um, their pre-throw, post-throw. That's something that is that trust is being built. I think as a coaching staff, you want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Um, pitch calling was something for the, you know, be, before a couple of years ago, I had called pitches from my sophomore year of college through pro ball and then my first six years of coaching. So it was something I had to kind of take a step back from. Um, and it was a good, it was a good step back. It gave me a different perspective, but I also have uh, experiences that I want our coaching staff to understand um, and lead our pitchers down the right road. Um, I think pitch calling, um, if you, if you look too much into it and you, and every pitch has the weight of the world on it, it's going to have big swings, um, highs and lows. Um, our pitching staff knows uh, that when we call a pitch, there's a purpose behind it. Um, they have the ability to shake off if they're not convicted in it. You can throw the right pitch at the right time and have a negative outcome. You can throw the wrong pitch at the wrong time, and it could be a swing and miss or a pop-up to the infield. Um, second guessing is is not something that our program does. Um, so, um, But we do have conviction in what we do. Pitch calling is we are, we are trying to uh, lead our pitchers down the correct road for success. If they are, if we have a batter in the box that is not a good, um, uh, the scouting report says he doesn't do well with a certain pitch, but that isn't our pitcher's best. We're still going to go with the pitcher's best. Um, I think one thing that our our um, our pitching staff knows with pitch calling is you almost kind of have the casino, um, the casino mindset. the The house always wins. Pitching in the game of baseball is the house the house always wins. So even though that pitch might not have worked out in the long run, your more pitchers will work out than, than won't. Without having really seen the guys coming out of the fall, did you have an idea that you guys were going to be pretty good? No, it was, it was the red carpet was not laid out for this team. There was a lot of adversity. Um, you have it. We had, we graduated 16 seniors. Um, a lot more had a, a greater impact than others. Um, but throughout the fall, it was a new voice. It was a new vision, even though Coach Ruiz and I have very similar morals, uh, very similar coaching philosophies, the delivery was different. Um, and it took some time for guys to hear my voice and and um, from little things, from changing ball, ball, ball to I got it, I got it, I got it, uh, changing the signs, um, changing, um, you know, one, one drill we had one day was not very good. And some of the seniors said, hey, do you think we can add music to this drill? And so we added music and it changed the whole entire practice. And it, it was, you know, for me, it was like, why did we have to add music? And it, it, it made it better. Um, what music this, did just, they want? I'm a music uh, guy. It was, it, it was, it was a mixture. It was, uh, it was the, 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 they have the, the electronic music, you know, the, 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 um, they had some rock and roll, they had some country, they had, um, they had some, some pop. Um, it was it was very it was very eclectic. It was very diverse. It wasn't anything that was special. Um, but being at a school like Westmont, it, it didn't have foul language or um, you know anything like that. So, uh, but we added music to it, and it just it it created energy, um, which I didn't you know coming from coming from any any stop along the way, we didn't need that extra energy. I I suppose maybe maybe would have helped. It's something that we learned. Um, but throughout the season, it was it was even though we were winning games. Um, I, I knew that I knew that what we how we were winning games weren't going to be wasn't going to be sustainable. Um, and so I we coached harder, even though we were winning games, we coached harder. Um, we we were more detail oriented because we knew that the goal of this team was not just to go to Lewiston. And in order to do what we did in Lewiston, um, 
we needed to we needed to iron those things out. And it and sometimes winning, um, sometimes winning doesn't expose those um, those lapses or or those details that um we need to we needed to uh, iron out. Because you really only had one hiccup during the year, one weekend. It looked like Hope International early, but then you got yep. them you got them back at the end of the year though. Yeah, so they they definitely saw a different team, um, and that was a turning point for us. Um, uh, Hope International was uh, ranked higher than us. They're they're a perennial perennial um, NAIA top ten team. Uh, we went down to their place. Um, they had a little bit more velo than we had seen earlier in the year. Um, our guys, you know, maybe in the past, um, you know, knew that we didn't play very well down at Hope, um, which bothered me a lot. Um, but they 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 gave us they gave us three losses, and it wasn't just the losses; it was the way that we were losing. Um, and from then on, um, I think we were 10 and five at that point. And so from then on out, we went 30, 38 and nine after that point, uh, 39 and nine from that point. Um, and it was definitely a turning point. And, um, it was not something that, like I said, it was not a, a red carpet. There was a lot of adversity. There was a lot of learning. There was a lot of, um, transition of, of, of confidence and belief, um, that came from that. And Guys rolled in Lewiston, and then Southeastern got you, but came back and, and got Southeastern, and then you beat Lewis Clark State to win it. And that's, I mean, the, the storied program of NAI is Lewis Clark State, so that had to be magical for you guys to beat them in front of their home crowd, basically. Yeah, and and to be honest with you, that first loss that we had against Southeastern, that was the first time in a really long time um, that I felt that we played the game against the opponent. Um, when we went to Hope International the first the first uh, the first weekend of conference, um, I felt like we were um, we were playing against the uh, opponent instead of playing against the game or playing within ourselves. So when we played Southeastern, the number one team in the country, on ESPN for the first time, uh, the lights of us being three and zero, and then you know if we beat them, it's a it's a knockout game for them. Um, it was the first time that I hadn't seen our guys that I, that I had seen our guys not communicate the way that we've been been communicating. There was a little bit of hesitation. There was a little bit of looking looking around to see what was actually happening. But the way we responded was incredible. Um, to go out the day before and have a loss to southeastern southeastern to come back the next day and, and beat them um, was what our team was about. Um, and then the final the final game. Um, against Lewis and Clark State on their home field, they're going for their twentieth victory. Seemed like the whole the whole town was in attendance um, for our guys. Um, it was a it was a pure representation of what Westmont College is and what Westmont College baseball is about. The adversity that was that game with the amount of um, ups and downs, the back and forth, um, and so it was a it was a culmination of of a lot of things and our guys. Um, believing in each other. Um, I've, I've told, I did, we have our juniors and seniors back this week for a, a leadership retreat. Um, and they're going to help with the move in tomorrow of, of all the new students on campus. Um, but I told them, I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel stress in Lewiston. I didn't feel like I needed to have my own head coach impact on those games. Um, the course, the, the course of the season that was built um, allowed me to put guys in position to succeed, but be okay with the result no matter what happened. If Gabe Artiaga, our closer that closed out our final game, if he would have given up a two-run home run to lose us the championship, I would love him just as much as him getting the last out. 
And our players knew that and believed in each other. They knew that they were there for a reason and they were in the lineup or on the mound because of of the trust that each and every one of their teammates and their coaching staff had in them. I was not stressed out in Lewiston, not one bit, full honest to God truth. Well, I knew that our, our team was pitching too. I mean, it helps helps with the arms that you all had, you know, and, and you mentioned him. Did you know coming out of the fall that he was probably going to fill that role at closing games? I think I think we had we had a few options. Um and Gabe Gabe Artiago was one of them. Um uh Carlos Moreno was another one and I know that he didn't have the season that he wanted. Um he actually started that game as an opener um for our, our loss against um Southeastern and uh he dealt with some injuries, but he had some closing opportunities. Um Robbie Ha, our shortstop who had four saves the year before we, he had three outings all year. So like the, the, the pitching kind of came together over the course of the year. And then uh, Lucian Wetchberg was lights out for the last four months of the year. It was, it was incredible to watch his progression. So I did feel like we had four, five, six options at the end of the game. And when you get into a tournament like that, where you have five games in a row, you need, it, it can't just be one or two guys. It's gotta be everybody. Did you use an opener a lot? We didn't. We didn't at all. Actually, we had our three starters who made every single start. I think uh, uh, Eric Gosaguerra um, missed one start towards the end of the year. Um, but that was the, that. That was that was one of the reasons why we won as many games as we did was having three uh, starters that went out there and, and gave our gave our team um, an opportunity to win um, and put and allowed our bullpen to not get taxed early in the season or have guys that weren't prepared for certain situations have to get stretched out longer than they, they are ready for. Um, and so, you know, Brian Peck and, and Chase Goddard and Eric Otsagera, um, they, they were the backbone of this program because it allowed us to use guys in certain situations um, that were going to prepare them for playoff baseball and, and winning ultimately winning a national championship. I mean, how'd you come to that decision in Lewiston that, okay, we're going to, we're going to, use an opener here for this game uh it was it was not an elimination game for us um we we only really had three starters um if we could get if we could get a quality couple innings um out of out of carlos moreno we didn't play defense behind him those first couple innings um we used him um to to, to try to to bridge to sean youngerman who's a freshman um who actually ended up going five really really good innings for us and ultimately saved our guys for the next two games um, so you throw a freshman out there against the number one team it could have gone south really, really quickly. And we may not have ever rebounded from that. Um, but we didn't use openers. Um, we didn't have, you know, we didn't have those options, um, to give us, I could have used Brian Peck on two days short rest, but if we would have, you know, if we would have lost with him, um, it, it wasn't going to set up next, next game too. Yeah. So there, it was, it, there was some game planning there, but also, Understanding in the way that our players um, would have rallied was was something that I knew we were we were we were a resilient bunch. Um, we had a lot of come from behind victories in the year, and and we truly believed in each other, no matter who was on the mound. And Brady rank offensively for you all, like just looking at his stat line. I mean, you don't see it as much. He had forty one walks and nineteen Ks. Plus, I mean, he could hit for power, hit for average, stole a bunch of bases. I mean, have you had many guys like that that are that complete offensive players? No, and I think that he his his presence in the lineup uh, spread through the lineup. I think um, early on in the year we didn't really have an offensive identity. Um, we struck out a lot, uh, way too much early on in the year. 
Um, once we, once we cut those strikeouts down um, and that's what Brady did. I think he, you know, he, ha- like you said, like his, his um, walks to strikeout ratio was off the charts. Um, his um, just the pressure that he put on pitchers. And um, we, for the last few months of the year, we made pitchers work one through nine. Um, and it, and it showed in, it showed in our, our game against Southeastern, like we knocked their starter, the, um, their number one pitcher, we knocked him out in like the second or third inning. Um, and we made them bring in bullpen guys, um, and they have bullpen dudes, um, but we put pressure on them. Um, same thing happened in, in, uh, the championship game against Lewis and Clark. Like we scored, we scored off of walks. We scored, our base running was off the charts. Um, we, we, it's something that's a point in our program is the base running and our guys believe in it. They, they know how it impacts winning. Um, but one through nine, our guys were the toughest outs in America. And I truly believe that. And it wasn't just one or two guys in the lineup. Yes. Brady set the tone. Robbie Haas set the tone at the top of the lineup and Ryan DeSager hit third and, and, and Bryce McFeely hit fourth, but one through nine, we were extremely, extremely tough to get out. I mean, when did that start clicking for guys? Because that's something you you talk about as a coach, but the guys have to go out and do it and be okay with with maybe taking a strike here and there, even if it's not in a zone that they're looking for. What I what I found throughout the year is is talking hitting in stretch lines, going out there and talking about the previous day of maybe why I pinch hit this person in this spot or why did I have this, you know, why did we steal or why did why did we score those three runs in the fifth inning? It was because we had a great secondary lead and we beat a force out to 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 extend the inning, even if it did we didn't didn't mean to score in runs. Like this is how we impact winning. And it doesn't have to be getting hits or doubles or homers. Um and having those conversations. Um we had, you know, seniors that were one, two, three, and five in our lineup that could talk about what winning it feels like. They knew what it looked like. Um, now just giving them the opportunity to talk more baseball. Baseball IQ is something that um, we look for in recruits. Um, baseball IQ is something that we're talking about with our players all the time and talking about how it impacts winning. And I think that baseball needs to get back to that. What is winning baseball? Winning baseball is not how hard you throw uh how how hard you hit off a tee, your exit velo, that doesn't mean anything. What it means is how can you impact the game? And our guys know what they, meaning self-awareness, how they personally can impact the game. If you can hit a home run, I need you to hit a home run sometimes. If you can't hit a home run, I need you to lay down a bunt when the third baseman's sleeping and lay in a little bit too far back. I need you to, you know, we need to go first to third. If you came into our program and asked what our hitting philosophy is, our hitting philosophy is leading the country in doubles. And a double is not just hitting a ball that that clears the you know outfield the outfielder and goes to the fence. Like getting hit by a pitch and reading a ball in the dirt, that's a double. Um, going first to third in the left fielder's face because he didn't run hard after the ball, that's a double. Um, and so there, if you what you what you deem as important, you need to track it. And so in the fall, we track doubles. During the season, we track doubles. How is that going to impact us? in the in the in the large scheme of of having a season and having the development side any adjustments with the program since you're moving to division two we have we have a large freshman class coming in so that that hit it has impact impacted recruiting i think we still have a fit we have a fit-based program um we have a we have a non-denominational christian college um that is very very high academic and so i think we're 
we're uh, we're actually getting our foot in the door with some recruits that maybe are looking um, for that Division One, um, but finding a fit with us, um, which is which is great. Um, I have full confidence in our players that were here previously that they're going to put in the work that's going to allow them uh, to to succeed at the Division Two level. But you know it is just as good as I do. NEIA baseball is really, really good baseball. And uh, making the transition to Division Two, it might just be a little bit uh, more depth. Um, but the with where we're coming from at the at the NAI level, with with coming off of the national championship, like we played Division One caliber caliber talent in Lewiston. Um, our guys responded the correct way, and I'm not I'm not worried about our talent level not being good enough. Um, but there are going from NAI to Division Two. There are rules of hours, hour restriction, Kara Kara um, Kara hours, and lifting hours, and we have to have two days off a week now in the fall. So there's going to be some self um, self driven, uh, a little bit more uh, player driven um, practices um, where the players aren't uh, the coaches aren't involved. And uh, I'm excited to see our leadership crew um, kind of come together to usher in to shepherd in this new freshman class of of what of what Westmont baseball is and for NAI too you see uh, maybe a few more transfers but look like you guys more high school kids yeah there's a good there's a good mix um there's a good mix uh, we have uh, a really we've done a really good job um prior to me getting here of bringing in really good talent um and there there is a good mix um and bringing in you know, we have we have uh, quite a few freshmen coming in, but we do have some uh, we do have some junior college players and some Division One kickbacks that are they just want opportunity, and the best players that you can have are the ones that want to push for opportunity and want to be competitive. Um, we we are going to have a competitive fall, and it's not competitive me versus uh, you know the the player versus player. It's going to be players pushing players um, to to get called up to the standard and expectations of what this program is. Um, and it's not divisive. Um, it's not, I'm going to beat this guy out because I, 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 I don't want him to play over me. It's, it's who's going to be the one that's going to represent this program and get us, um, you know, pushed in the right direction. Cause we do have two years of non, uh, non playoffs. Who's going to lead us into the next, the next frontier of this division two transition. Have the older players always helped the, the new incoming, uh, freshmen, uh, move into the dorms? Yeah, it's uh, it's something that is special. It's special. Um, uh, it's very unique. It's not something I've been a part of. But um, when you move in here at Westmont, um, our our freshmen and transfers they drive up with their car. Uh, they know what building they're getting moved into, um, and they don't touch any of the luggage boxes or anything. We have our players. Uh, we have basketball players, uh, students that are here early. That they they just, the the car drives up. We unload it for them. We bring them to the room and they go park and everything's in their room delivered for them. Um, and it's something that's really special and unique to Westmont. Um, but our guys are a part of it. And it's something that is embedded in this program that we are servants. We are servants to this this special place that's called Westmont College. And, uh, you know, uh, our servant leadership with our with our group um, is putting other people ahead of them. And there's no job too low for any of our older guys, whether it's raking, raking on the field, cleaning up baseballs or uh, helping with move in of freshmen um, that may be going through a, a tough transition, um, an exciting anxiety filled transition. You, know, you talked about pushing extra bases. I mean, when does that start for you all in the fall? It starts day one. I think base running is something that we it's uh, it's 
Uh, Reggie Christensen at, at Sac State talked to it about about being the special teams like a football team. You got offense, defense, and special teams. Base running is a, vi- a vital part of of what this culture is, uh, what our offense is. Um, our offense is about leaving the situation better for the guy behind you, whether that's moving a runner, whether it's hitting a double, whether it's a 12-pitch at bat so the pitcher has to work. Um, taking an extra bases is just something that is is it, it's in the mindset. Um, and it takes away the fear. Our play, our players in Lewiston last year played fearlessly um, because they knew that that whatever decision they made, they had a reason why they were doing it. And the freedom was there and it was built in because we practice it and we preach it every single day. Um, it was important to us that our guys talk the game, speak the game so that those split seconds decisions um, aren't hesitation. Um, our guys will react properly because we practice it every single day. Um, and, uh, I appreciate our guys willingness to trust in and buy into that, um, because it does impact winning. I mean, do you have any go-tos for a hitter who maybe hasn't had to, to work on moving a runner before they get to you? Yeah, I think, I think there's, I think there's a lot of, a, a lot of self-awareness that needs to happen. Um, you know, not moving a runner from, you know, with nobody out, if you're not, if you're not, uh, um, into bunting, it's not so much like hitting the ball to right field. It, it, we, I, I give them the freedom to, you know, if, if we have a, if we have a tough sinker baller on the mound, that's riding the ball into a right-handed batter, like there's nothing that says you can't get the barrel out in front and slam one past the third baseman who's playing in for a bunt. Um, but if that pitch doesn't come, like you have to be able to understand, like we're, we're, we're still recognizing pitches. Um, we're recognizing the situation. The scoreboard's going to dictate how, um, how aggressive you are, um, how selective you are. Um, but you know, moving runners, um, is something that is, is very, uh, unselfish. It's very selfless, um, leaving the situation better for you, uh, for your teammate behind you is something that our guys pride themselves in, um, and grinding out at bats. Um, and it, it, it's, it it allows for more freedom. Um, so when a, when a, um, you know, a player comes into our program, they already feel the selflessness from the previous, the returning players. Um, and once they feel that, then we can, then we can coach. Um, if you, if your first day of batting practice and you're trying to get a guy to move a guy over, whether it's a hit and run or a bunt, um, and they've never done it before, they're going to feel less confident. Um, so you have to practice it. You have to, you have to give reasons why, like, why are we moving this guy over? Why, why are we, why do we have this bunting technique? Why do we want the ball bunted down the first baseline or third baseline, depending on what the situation gives us, you give them the tools, you put them in their, in the player's baseball toolbox so that they have the opportunities to grow in those, uh, in those aspects of the game. I mean, when was that brought up to you as a player? I always felt like I was a coach on the field. I was so competitive in little league. Um, I was so, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want any stone left on left unturned with the ability to compete and win. Um, and it was just something that, you know, when I was younger, that I, I was a coach on the field. I wanted our play. I wanted my team to win ultimately. Um, you know, uh, I didn't, I wasn't always a catcher. I was a middle infielder as well when I was in high school. So being able to have those different aspects and have um, teammates be able to count on me because I was prepared. Um, I, I, I took, I took the liking to baseball um, at a very young age. Um, all, even though I did play football, basketball, and baseball in high school, um, 
baseball was always something that it was, it was more like chess than checkers. And my, my brain was intrigued by baseball. And so it was something that I, I was always, I was always making sure that guys were in the right place at the right time or talking and coaching and, and saying, Hey, this is how it's going to work. Um, our players will tell you there's some things that I say in the dugout that's like almost calling what the game's going to do just by watching it. You know, you can say, hey, like this guy's going to roll over this ground ball. We're going to go five, four, three, double play. And 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 it happens. It's just something that you when you watch enough baseball. And, you know, one thing I do would want to preach um, to our players is just watching more baseball. We're in a very highlight driven um, society with social media of just seeing the highlights. Um, there's so much more to baseball. Um, than just the highlights. There's the little nuances, and that's why we had so much success this year. And that's why I do I truly believe that we're going to make this transition into Division Two um, successfully. Is is ha- having guys buy into to, there's so many more aspects to baseball than just the highlights. Do you have any restrictions, social media wise or technology wise, with your guys? No, our guys our our, our guys know what's at stake um, with just what what they consume. Um, you know, consuming, I have guys texting me all the time with things they see on, on, on Twitter, social media, and, you know, I'll give them my opinion. I don't think my opinion is, is concrete or fact. Um, we, I'll have conversations. We have plenty of guys that go to driveline and learn. Um, we have plenty of guys that go to different facilities and it's just, it's, it's great to be honest with you. The conversation, um, the, the success that it might breed into a teammate of just talking baseball, um, why do you do things this way? Why do we do this things this way? Why did that work for you, but not him? Those, those conversations, uh, breed, um, breed successful people. And that's what Westmont baseball is about. And, and that's what Westmont, the community, um, around our baseball players are, is, is an opportunity, uh, for growth, um, and having conversations with people that may not be baseball people of, of life and faith and journey. Um, and that's what, that's what brought me. That's what made me want to come to Westmont was having um, the community aspects of growth um, in faith and spirituality, um, in baseball, in leadership. Um, baseball is not the best sport on campus here. Our women's basketball program, our men's and women's soccer program, our track and field. I mean, all of our sports are just uh, are off the charts. And the leaders of that pro- of those programs, the head coaches. I'm I'm learning from them every single day and they push me to be a better coach where I'm trying to make our assistant coaches be better by coaching them and impart our assistant coaches will then impart wisdom onto our players. And that's what I feel should be the best case of developing players and people. When did you switch to catching full time? Uh, so um, my senior year of high school, our, our, our catcher did not make grades. Unfortunately, um, I was uh I was playing shortstop and uh, I, we didn't have a catcher, another, but we didn't have a backup catcher. So I said, I'd do it. Um, there was a little bit of talk about that. I, I went to, a, um, this was back before travel ball or anything like that. So I actually went to an Academy called Aldretti, uh, Aldretti Academy in Monterey um, and uh, Rich Aldretti, Mike Aldretti, uh, Mike Aldretti's brother. Um, he, I was a left-handed hitting um, shortstop that, you know, I was not, fast. I had a good arm. I didn't have much range, but I made the routine play and I knew where everybody was. So he said, Hey, have you ever caught before? And I said, uh, I used to catch, I could do it. Um, and, uh, so I started catching a little bit with him. Um, and then that opportunity came. So my second half of my senior year, uh, I started catching every day, went to UC Davis, um, tried out with a hundred over a hundred people. 
um, on the first two days of classes. And uh, the coaching staff at UC Davis saw something in me. Uh, actually, after the first day, my, I called my dad and said, I met, my baseball career might be over. There's a, over 100 people here trying out, um, plus the 50 or 60 that are already on the roster. UC Davis was a Division II back then, so there was unlimited rosters. Um, but um, ultimately, you know, moving to the catching position changed the course of my life. Yeah, and it's, you know, you said you're a coach on the field. Those are the guys that eventually end up back there because they, they see it differently. Yeah, it, it was something that, you know, uh, playing, at, playing at UC Davis, we, we, we uh, Rex Peters was our head coach. Actually, I went, my freshman year was Phil Swimley, who was there for, you know, he's a ABCA Hall of Famer. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, that was my redshirt freshman year. And there was 60 guys and we had three separate teams that just played games every single day. Uh, there was two teams on the field. There was one team in the cage and we just rotated. Um, then Rex Peters comes in from, you know, Chapman, who he had great success at Chapman Division three school um, and came into UC Davis. And my freshman year, we went to the Division two um, World Series um, in Montgomery, Alabama. That was, that was before they moved it to Cary. Um, but we read we we read Heads Up Baseball uh, over our Christmas break. Heads Up Baseball changed my life. That's because it it, it Heads Up Baseball I related to it. It my brain needed to work that way. Um, and reading that book, um, multiple times, um, I learned something new every time I read it. Um, and so when you have. That's how many aspects of baseball was for me. It for sure. Changed the course of my playing career from junior year of high school, that junior summer that I read it, it, yeah. it changed the course of my playing career. Yeah. And uh, I hope, I hope that more people, buy into the, the the reading aspect the learning aspect the not one way to teach it or use it or implement it there's so many different um ways that you can you know teach it learn it um and and the growth of what baseball was 10 15 20 30 40 years ago to what it is now uh, is incredible but we need to keep moving the game forward how are you handling peak performance with your guys like how much information you're giving them what information you're giving them I think it's very um, age appropriate. Um, I don't talk to our seniors the same way that I would talk to a freshman hitter or a freshman pitcher. Um, there's steps along the way in the development process that need to be met. Um, there are um, we did we do personality tests. Um, we have uh, we we know who we're dealing with. Um, you know, there's some players that you know in the visual learners versus audio learners. Um, you know, I could say one thing to one player and it mean totally different to another player. And that's about relationships and knowing who you're talking to. Um, as a coach, you have to be able to communicate non-verbally, verbally, um, with with a math with a with a, a vast array of different individuals. Um, and so I I will I will purposely not um, give a younger player a certain amount of information because I want them to first of all get this information and then we'll move on um, to the next. Um, those questions, those questions and conversations I had with Brady Rank, I was not having with a freshman because Brady Rank had been through a lot of baseball and I was preparing him for what he was going to be for this team. Um, and so there was more conversations about maybe um, you know, uh, technique and, and skill level and picking up little nuances of the game. And he had that innately. Um, but freshmen, you, you try to give them very, very minimal, um, 
maybe it's just approach. Um, maybe it's just um, one single finite um, aspect of the game that they need to work on in that moment that's going to better them a month from now, a year from now, two years from now. Um, but I think there is, it's very age appropriate um, and figuring out who you're talking to. You know, we talked about the World Baseball Classic. I, you had some great lines on the World Baseball Classic when we talked in Lewiston and just that whole experience yeah. for you and guys coming together and figuring it out. How much has that helped you now? It's it's helped me out immensely. Um, you know, I think what we did in Lewiston this last year was bigger than baseball. Um, I, I had a, a social media post about a reflection of what I felt um, with all the people reaching out Um about 15 years ago in 2008, they were going to drop the program here at Westmont. Um, a, a fire ripped through Santa Barbara uh, mountains and and burnt down our field. And um, our athletic director at the time, Dave O'Dell, saved the program. Um, and the impact that it's had on a lot of people um, is is was greatly felt. Um, but that World Baseball Classic, we felt like we were the underdog showing that it, we could go up toe-to-toe with – Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, USA, Canada, Mexico, all those teams that we faced. Um, and we had leads on all of them. Um, and we felt like we had an impact on each other. Um, guys that hadn't gotten their major league breakthrough yet, guys that were minor leaguers, guys from Italy that were just on the national team that hadn't even played at that level. Um, I'll never forget, um, we're playing Mexico um, in the first game. Uh, Jason Grilly's on the mound. Uh, bases loaded, two outs. We're up by one. Sergio Romo uh, had just given us the lead the, the inning before. And one of my teammates from the national team uh, never played minor league baseball, had only played in, in Italy, was a defensive replacement for Nick Punto, who is a, a big leaguer. He's a defensive replacement for him at second base. Bases loaded, 3-2 count. Grilly gets a ground ball to him, and he fields it and throws it to first base like there was no, there was no hesitation. Like I'm so, like I was so proud to be that, that kid's teammate to go to know what he went through to, to make this World Baseball Classic team. Like there was no hesitation. Um, we believed in each other, just like the belief that we talked about in this Westmont Warrior um, baseball program. The belief that is built, um, and to build it in that a short amount of time with the World Baseball Classic was something that I'll never forget. Um, I, I have teammates that we still talk to each other. Um, and it was, uh, it was, it's, and you see it and you see it like last year in the world baseball classic, you see a different brand of baseball. Um, and that's the, that's the baseball that I think I said to you in Lewiston was you're playing for the name on the front of your shirt, not the name on the back of the shirt. Um, and you're playing for a country and you're playing for pride and you're playing for, um, something bigger than baseball. I mean, who did, who did you all lean on? Who were the kind of the major voices on that team? with some of the older guys that said, Hey, we can go play with anybody. To be honest with you is our manager, Marco Mazzieri. Um, he had a vision. I think all great leaders have a clear and concise vision. Um, I tried, I learned that from him. Um, and I, I truly believe that I had so many coaches throughout my career that led me to who I am today. Um, and my my clear and my clear and concise vision for Westmont baseball was was developed by having our manager who brought a bunch of players from different uh, major league organizations from different countries and brought us together with a vision um, and and stuck to it. Now, that commitment um, could have led us to four losses and going on our own way. 
for some reason that vision um he he took a chance and and gave us the vision and and committed to it and we all bought into it um and um that vision that 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 laser focus of what marco gave to us and he truly cared about us as individuals and so we bought in we bought into each other we bought into uh, and you know a lot of it came from you know a bunch of guys that were still making names for themselves. Like I said, like J- Jason Grilly was probably the biggest name on the team. Uh, Anthony Rizzo was our first baseman. He had just, he had just broke through to the major leagues. Wasn't it who he is today? Nick Punto was on the, you know, kind of the, the, um, the backside. Alex Liddy was a, a, a big leaguer that was the first Italian born big leaguer on the team. Uh, Kristen Norfia was in center field. Um, you know, we had minor leaguers and, and, and Italian professional players that were on that team that, like I said, like it was very, very much like Westmont baseball. And we were not the most talented team in Lewiston, but we were the, we were the best team in Lewiston because we cared about each other and we believed in each other um, through the, through the ups and downs of what baseball is. How'd you know when it was time to be finished playing? It's a hard thing for people to realize. Yeah. Um, I was, I was under just going back to the way I was brought up is, is someone's going to have to rip the Jersey off of me and take it away. Um, I was a non-drafted free agent, um, had to come in every spring training and win a job. Um, I was in double a with the Biloxi shockers of double a with the brewers, um, not playing very much, um, put my body through a lot because I knew I needed to make sure that my, my health wasn't the reason I left the game. Um, Tony Schifano, um, head coach at San Francisco state was a UC Davis guy. We, we'd known each other. Um, he called me, um, said, Hey, I don't know where you're at with your playing experience. Um, you know, what, what you're trying to do. Um, but I just got the head job at, at San Francisco state. And I want you to, you know, if you're, if you're ready. Um, and there was a lot of, there was a lot of, uh, emotion in that. Um, and, uh, ultimately decided to, to, jump on board with Tony. And it was obviously the best decision. One of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, um, to come home Great and, one to and go uh, work for, by the way. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Tony's Tony's awesome. And, and to be honest with you, a lot of those, a lot of those, um, offensive tactics, a lot of those base running tactics, that's all stuff that, that me and him grew up with, with being around Davis and being around each other. Um, all the stops I've had along the way of head great head coaches of winning head coaches. Um, I think, I think being around winners was something that was very important to my, my development as a, as a coach, uh, whether I was an assistant coach or now that now, now that I'm in a head coaching role, um, all those people have impact in your lives. Even the managers that I had in my, uh, in minor league baseball, um, or the, you know, the big league spring trainings. I remember, I remember being in spring training and, and, listening to Boch Bochi and Dave Rigetti and Mark Gardner and, and all those, all of those coaches with the giants, uh, Flannery, um, Wotus, um, those, I, I was, I was listening to them. I wasn't up on the top row looking at, you know, watching, you know, watching the stands and looking in the, in, in the stands or, or, you know, maybe focus too much on baseball, but I was listening to them. So all the coaches positive or negative had an impact on who I am today. And, and, uh, truly believe that, it, um, uh, I am who I am because of those experiences. Bruce Bochy for me is unbelievable. He just even keeled. He just, it, when you think of a big league manager, like a good big league manager, he's one of the first guys, him and, and Socher are the first 
guys that kind of pop into my head that okay, that's that's what you need to be if you're gonna if you're gonna make it that long as a manager. I think so, and the catching the catching background of that is definitely uh, definitely apparent um, because you do have to bring a group of people together, um, and you have to be able to have a clear and concise vision. Um, Bochi always had a vision of each season. Um, he always had the pulse of the team. Um, he was very observant. His words were uh, intentional. Um, sometimes it wasn't even saying anything. That was the intentional part of it. Um, and I definitely, I definitely re- learned a lot from just being a fly on the wall in some of those conversations in the dugout with the, with a Hall of Fame coaching staff. Um, and that was special for me. Did you know Robert Ruiz at all before you took the job? I mean, I, did you know yeah. him before? Yeah, so we're both Northern California, um, Northern California products. Um, he's a few years older, older than me from uh, South San Francisco. Um, I, you probably have a lot of people that have been to Stanford Camp before. Stanford Camp is a very, very special um, group of coaches that go and work those events. Um, and so I actually met him. Um, I was coaching at San Francisco State. Um, his, uh, my grandfather and his uncle are really, really good friends. So like there was a mutual, um, interest just because my grandfather said, Hey, there's, you know, my grandfather was the commissioner of the state of California, um, junior colleges. Um, he, him and Jerry Weinstein are best friends, um, because, and, and just from being around each other. Um, but he was, you know, Hey, you got to go talk to Robert Ruiz and you got to, you know, make sure you tell him about it, Andy, and, and, and make that connection. He was always, my grandfather was always talking to me about connections and relationships. And so, um, I got to meet Robert, um, and then fast forward, um, you know, six or seven years, um, I came down here on my interview and it just felt like home and it felt, it felt like this was the right place for me. And, and, uh, um, I'm thankful for those, all those opportunities previously, but Stanford camp is, is where I built a lot of my coaching network of who I talked to and who I, who I, um, reach out to with issues or problems or just just a just a talk. I'm glad Stanford Camp's still going. It's just it, that the mentoring piece, just all of that. I think we we miss a little bit of that. There's not as many winter camps, especially for cold parts of the world. There's not as many because of the the recruiting rules are different now. I think we miss a lot of that mentoring piece with the older coaches helping the younger coaches that you still get at the Stanford Camp. Stanford camp was so impactful um, in my development um, in our programs, development, talking to coaches from all over the country, East coast, West coast, mid Midwest, South um, NAIA division three Ivy league, um, you know, Bob Whalen's at Stanford camp. Uh, Oh yeah. Still there. And, and, uh, and rich price um, working it. And um, so many, so many head coaches that you're just, you're having conversations. You're just watching them. You're, you're learning from them and it's, it's a four or five days where it's like, it's like an ABCA convention on, on, you know, on a micro level um, because of the, the wealth of knowledge that's there and whether you agree with it or use it or implement it or not, at least it's something that you're, you're putting in, into your, you know, into your coaching portfolio. Is that one of your kids drawings on the driver race board behind you? Love so it. this is the this is the perks of uh, one of the perks of having a, a seven. She actually this was her first day of school today, second grade. Um, she came to work with me this summer. Um, both of our assistant coaches, um, uh, Elijah Ontiveros, coached with uh, Coach Pickler out in, at YD in the Cape this summer. 
Um, our pitching coach coached for the Santa Barbara Foresters this summer. So I was on campus a lot with uh, youth camps and and other camps, but my daughter would come to um, campus with me and she, she, she the, the whole entire, the whole entire uh, whiteboard is all driven, drill, uh, drilled up. But um, that's why we do it. Um, I, I, I love the fact that my daughter is on campus with me and, and around such great people here at Westmont. That's great. You let your assistants go out and, and coach in the summertime. Yeah, it's it's only going to impact our players. It's going to grow them. Um, you know that I think um, it was it was a lot of of you know maybe having a summer with not having them around, but it, I think it was worth it in the long run of of their development, um, how they're going to impact our players, um, how the, it's going to impact their lives. Um, I want them to grow. My job as a head coach is to prepare them um, for whatever job they may come. I, I hope they're here for another 20 years at Westmont, but um, the reality is I'm, I need to prepare them for their next job, whether that's taking over a head coach after I retire here um, um, or the next job that they want to do. I want to give them every resource um, because that's what I was given um, as an assistant coach. I was given the opportunity to talk to so many head coaches and, and build relationships with, with so many people. Um, the West coast recruiting is a, is a very, um, is a very, um, social a very social um brother brotherhood um and to get to meet people and talk to people and and work events like stanford camp or or just go out and recruiting like that's how you grow yourself um and put yourself in positions uh, because um this game is about relationships and and this this job occupation is about relationships and growth do you have a fail forward moment have something you thought was going to sidetrack you but looking back now it helped you grow move forward yeah, I think I think as a pitching coach, um, I was always trying to learn, um, you know, how to communicate with pitchers, even though I wasn't I wasn't a pitcher um, and knowing um, the tech um, that is involved in being a pitching coach. Um, and um, I, I, I think a fail forward moment was actually realizing that maybe I was more built for being a head coach um, and overseeing a lot of it rather than just being so finite on 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 pitching um as a pitching coach and and a recruiting guy it gets really really hard um to be able to develop your pitchers at the same at the same token so um when reggie christensen asked me um you know maybe about um you know shifting over to um a lot more recruiting and and uh you know working with the catchers and maybe working some with the hitters and coaching one of the bases like did i did i did i love it no because i've always been a pitching coach but i knew it was going to be better for our pitchers I knew it was going to be better for our players. Um, and so, um, you know, it led me to here and being on, you know, being at Westmont and, and you know, having people like you in, in, in my life of, of pushing me to be a better coach. And so uh, that was definitely a fail forward moment for me. P the pitching position for me, I've said it forever. If, if, if guys that can do both, like all of it, they end up making a lot of money now. That's been one of my tips to, to young coaches getting in. And I'm like, if you want to move up and move up quick, be a pitching guy. Now they, they get let go quicker too, but you know, it, it happens to guys, you know, we've had a lot of really good ones that have been let go, but if, if you can recruit and develop and all that, but it's that, that it is time consuming. And yeah, it, it it's uh it's, it's uh maybe division one baseball going with pitching coaches and pitching development coaches and having the, having the more resources to have more coaches at Sac state. It was the four of us. It was, a, it was a three assistants and our head coach. And if I was out recruiting, the pitchers were on their own. Um, and uh, so 
I think it's important to make sure that you have the right coaches involved and you have communication based on on mutual respect and 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 having the the players. You said it. The relationship between pitching coach and pitchers is so different than any other yes. dynamic. Yes, very much so. Very much so. So with, with kid, how how many kids you have? Just one, just one daughter. She just turned seven a couple week, oh, a couple weeks ago, and she's just started second grade. So, which is good. It's a good. That's a fun age. I, I miss that age. She's she's seven, going on seventeen. So, how and close is hates- her school to campus then? Uh, twenty minutes, and we live, we live, we walk. I walk her to school in the morning, so we walk to school so this morning. Routine. Drop- I always ask about routines. That's a great routine. To, to if I could, if I was around, I always try to drop them off at school if I could. Yeah, and I think that that you know going from Division One assistant coach to uh, head coach at NAIA and now Division Two, I do have that time to go and be a part of my daughter's life a little bit more. Um, it was definitely a a, a, a different job path um, from going from a Division One assistant and being on the road and and having um, you know maybe to be on the phone a little bit more to being at you know going down to a lower level and and still having the impact on your players, but also having a major impact on my family. Um, has been huge. Did you lean on any coaches when you're going to make that decision? Did you lean on any other lower level coaches and are like, Hey, the quality of life is, is much better. Uh, yeah, uh, there was, there was quite a few coaches that have just been a huge resource for me, um, through this process. Um, and you know, uh, Matt Vaughn, um, was the pitching coach at UC Davis was the head coach at UC Davis, Rex Peters. I talked to him a lot, Tony Schifano, um, Reggie, all the coaches that I've coached for were all, they're all mentors for me. Um, and they all, they also have insight onto, you know, what my path would be because they haven't invested, they, they're invested in me as a person. Um, and I appreciate everybody that's been, um, been a huge resource for me um, because they've, they've poured into my life so that I can pour into our players' lives um, but the, yeah, there was, a, there were, there was a, there was conversations about what this, what this transition would look like. And, and, you know, to be honest with you, it was, it's probably, um, more, um, it's probably more, um, impactful than I thought it was going to be going from a state school. I was a state at three state schools and then coming to a school like Westmont, it's impactful on my life as a whole. Like you said, um, the, the, the work life balance has been so much more of a balance, um, than maybe at the division one level. Any advice for new coaches trying to get into this thing? You've been at a, a bunch of different levels. Any advice? Yeah. Um, advice, advice would be, um, The advice that I would give a young coach is is first to build the relationships, build relationships with as many people as possible um, and don't think that you know it all um, because you don't um, and just be humble enough to understand like there are so many different ways to coach um, baseball and coach in general um, that don't, you know, try not to um, try not to have preconceived notions when doing so. Um, But also, I think it's important um, that you work Um, if whatever you're whatever you decide on a decision, whenever you have a decision, make it full heartedly and commit to it with a clear vision of what you want to do and what you want to accomplish, but also stay true to who you are. Um, be authentic to you. Don't change the way that you want to, that you feel like you need to coach because of a certain situation. Don't change who you are. You can't. No, I I think it's vitally important to stay who you are. Um, if you are, a, a you know, a quiet, um, 
quiet individual, stay quiet and just be impactful that way. If you're outgoing and, and, um, uh, have a sense of humor, like be, be that, um, I think that that's vitally important is to stay authentic to yourself. What are some final thoughts before I let you go? Become an ABCA member. Um, the, the, the brotherhood that you get when you get into the ABCA and go to conventions and, and the barnstormers and the, the rewatching videos of impactful people. Um, I've been listening to these podcasts ever since I got into coaching, um, listening to Nate Trotsky, um, a couple of weeks ago, um, listening to high school coaches, listening to, uh, you know, one of the things I, I found very, um, very, not really funny, but intriguing about my experience at Lewiston is, my our first game i was coaching against a thousand game winner um i was a first year head coach um this the third game i was going against william carey um and the head coach at william carey has won 13 um 1300 career wins um and so um baseball is one of those funny sports where you can match up with the best in the country um and come out on top um but i think this game is is so much bigger than just baseball and, and being a part of a brotherhood like the ABCA um, and building relationships with people like you and people like Sheets and people um, that are just going to have a huge impact on your life, whether it's from the East Coast to the West Coast, the South to the North. I have so many more friends and so many more people across the country that are going to make me a better person. Um, and it's all because of the ABCA and this coaching fraternity. It's 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 uh, it's something that I'll uh I'll remember for the, I mean, I'm going to continue to remember and, and be a part of, um, because it is, you know, something where you, as a, as a young coach, you can go to an ABCA convention and be walking around with, with, uh, with Corbin and Savage and, and all these greats, um, but also have high school coaches that have had immense success in their own right. And so that you can walk among the giants and feel like you're still learning from them and they're willing to give you information and, and, you know, nothing that we do over here at Westmont is anything that I, uh, cooked up in a lab. It's, it's stuff that I've learned and stole from other people, um, and used as our own. And, uh, I think that that's what the ABCA does for all of us. Yeah. I get weekly reminders of how great we have great coaches at every level. You know, it's just, it, it's, it's weekly. I get weekly reminders yeah. of how great we have coaches at every level. It's tremendous. So, yeah, well, sir, I appreciate your time. I like, like I said, it was great to meet you this summer and Again, that's the other thing that sticks out too. Like you, you meet people briefly in in our industry, and then you look up in ten years, and you're you're been friends with somebody for ten years. Just tremendous. Yes, I appreciate you uh, having me on, and and uh, if anybody needs to reach me, my email address is on our website. I'm I'm more than willing to talk to anybody, um, and and hopefully uh, and spread the word of what Westmont College and what Westmont baseball is, and and just help it in any way I can. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. As I've said multiple times over the last five years of doing the ABCA podcast, this is a great time for the baseball community with the amount of great coaches we have at every level of baseball from professional down to youth coaching. Congrats again to Coach Latore and the Westmont program on their first national championship, and I wish them best of luck on their transition to Division II. Thanks again to Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Matt West, and Antonio Walker in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at CoachB underscore ABCA, or direct message me via the MyBCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.
Wait for another